0: Hey guys, it's Allie. Welcome back to Infertile of the podcast. This is episode 90 called Marilyn. So guys, I don't even know where to start with my friend Marilyn B. Gomez because she is just the best. She's one of the coolest people ever. She's so giving. She's so friendly. She's such a shoulder to lean on for everybody in this community. And today she's going to tell us about her journey, which lasted from 2009 to 2015. We're going to talk about so many things, including how much the holidays suck while you're TTC, the guilt that she experienced about genetic testing and whether genetic testing is playing God, how therapy and visualization exercises helped her and how she dug herself out of a hole when she was really down in the muck, how she and her husband grieved differently and how that affected their marriage and drove them apart. And then we're going to talk about how she finally did become pregnant with her daughter, Mila, but the anxiety that you have when you become pregnant after infertility. So all these things, it's Marilyn Gomez. Check out her stuff at Infertile She's got really cool swag for people that are going through this. She's got earrings and hats and t-shirts and mask chains and super cute stuff. So Marilyn, I love you, girl. Without further ado, this is Marilyn's infertility story. (laughs) I'm so happy to talk to you today. There's a lot going on in the world and we don't need to get into all that, but it just, I've like, we, I feel like I've really come to love you in this community and just, you know, we've, you've been really involved with the rally and just, you know, we've been chatting a lot and I just like, you've become one of those people that I feel like I really can turn to and count on and who I love talking to. So I'm so happy to talk to you again today cuz we did this before and i fucking lost
1: the episode so <laughs> here we are again but anyway you're thank just you bring me back you're the best and i love <laughs> this community so much this is now my you know. my mission i know
0: my it mission. is same yeah. and you have got infertile teas which will plug right out of the gate um i <sighs> you have your le hope t-shirt which i love yeah. with the rainbow on it thank you um, do you know that i I think I told you this. I had a pact with myself that I wasn't going to buy any new clothing for the whole 2020. And that's the only thing I've bought is your
1: really? shirt. <laughs> yes. That makes me feel so special, but it's like such it's a cute like, shirt.
0: But it is so cute. And it's like, I'm like, well, that's not really, it's supporting my friends, no. you know, business. Yeah. It's not really buying clothes. Like I like no. did like some weird loophole in my mind. So,
1: yeah, Um, but I'm, Love I'm that.
0: happy to buy it. I wear it with pride. Yes. And I, I do want to talk about how you, Got into that whole thing, you know, like designing things and all that. But let's start at the beginning with your story because I know you've had a long infertility journey as well. So were you the kind of person that always wanted to have kids? Like, did you think about that growing up? And was that always like part of your life plan?
1: You know, Ali. I think now that I'm on the other side and I self-reflect, I feel like a lot of it was influenced by my parents, but yes, I always wanted children. I always wanted a big family. I came from a family of four and my parents, my mom and dad have massive families. They come from South America. I mean, my dad is one of 12 and my mom is one of 14. Mm -hmm. And so every Christmas we would fly to South America and spend the holidays. And I just loved being around my relatives and lots of cousins. And so from that moment, I mean, as young as I could remember, I just always had this vision of building a big family. Mm-hmm. And even like growing up, my dad would say, well, one day when you have kids, you want to make sure. And so I felt like I was conditioned, like I, not necessarily like I, no, I didn't have an option, right? Like that was my natural transition mm-hmm. as a woman, I guess. As yeah. A, yeah, because that's how they raised me. What were those family like events
0: like when you guys would all get together? I'm picturing like tons oh. of dancing because you dance a lot lots, on Instagram. Yes, <laughs> I do. Tons
1: dancing of dancing, is like tons therapy, of fun, but... right? Lots of fun, lots of alcohol, lots mm-hmm. of food. hmm Colombia, which is where my parents are from, Mm -hmm. it is a country that has so much passion and hospitality. The food is delicious. The land is beautiful. And so we would go to my grandmother's house and just really enjoy being together. And it was Mm -hmm. so such a beautiful time period in my life. And so I always envision like, okay, when I get older and I have my own children, this is something, this is the same feeling I want to captivate for my family.
0: Mm -hmm. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Okay, so flashing forward a bit,
1: what happened when you met your husband? So I met my husband in 2002 in college, and um, I learned that he was also Colombian, which for me, I was like, oh, this is good. Mm-hmm. Where this is were good? you guys? We were in Orlando, Florida. Mm-hmm. We met at the, the University of Central Florida and then we started dating and he is one of six. And um, so I really started painting that future like, okay, so he has a big family than the average American family. Yeah. Um, okay. So I'm on the right path. Right. We dated for a while before we decided to get married because I was one of those 20 somethings that really wanted to focus on building out her career before I settled down because I wanted the big family. Right. Okay. So. Yeah. yeah. So we get married in 2009. And, um, and I've said this a lot lately, like we were having unprotected sex. And so when we got married, we just went to the OB immediately. We got married in July mm-hmm. of 2009. And so that September I was in the office of the OB, like telling her that I w- wanted her help to get pregnant. Mm-hmm. And of course, when she asked like, have you been trying for a year? I told her yes, because how are they going to know? Yes. I remember you saying that to me before yeah. when we talked and I was yeah. like, yes, because
0: I think yeah. that putting that out there for people who are listening is like a good mess. Not like you should lie, ladies, but I feel like so many people are like told to wait for a year and it's like, fuck that. Like mm-hmm. why? What? What's that arbitrary number?
1: Especially if we're basically racing against our own body, because once you hit your mid-30s, you're in the yellow to red zone with your egg quality and your egg reserve, right? Right. And so I was 27, and so she put me on Clomid. I mean, she didn't do any blood work or anything like that. She said, okay, well, let's put you on Clomid. And at that time, we didn't have this incredible community where we could Mm -hmm. lean in and ask questions or anything like that. No one was talking about it. I mean- Totally. Literally, you cannot tell if a woman has any type of infertility, like you literally can't tell. So, and I didn't know it was a thing. And so I was on six rounds of Clomid and every month she kept upping my dosage and I just went along with it because I hadn't defined myself as infertile. It was just, okay, well, this is the year that I had lied about. So the Clomid is just going to give me an extra boost. Mm-hmm. And so eventually on my last round of Clomid, my husband was like, what the fuck? Like we've been at it for six months and mm-hmm. you're on Clomid. This is supposed to like boost everything. And I'm like, okay, well, let's find a reproductive endocrinologist. Mm-hmm. What was the Clomid? Did you have Clomid crazies
0: or like, what was the effect girl,
1: on you? <laughs> Girl, it was so bad. I was crazy. And I, I'm already a really like, I'm a high functioning anxious person. Mm -hmm. And so it was like that times 10 plus hot flashes. Mm -hmm. (laughs) And I didn't realize that little by little, it was affecting my husband because he was just tolerating me. And as I was with the Clomid, but Mm -hmm. um, it's, it it starts to take a toll, like right from the very beginning, because you have this goal in mind and it's not happening. And then you're just you have this invisible checklist like okay well now it's we gotta you know get back to the drawing board and we have to go to the next bullet point. Mm-hmm. And so I found this RE and um and of How course did we're you like, find the RE like did you just go oh this it? is funny. This is funny because I didn't even know the name of a I didn't know what the title was for reproductive endocrinologist. I, I didn't either like, I, I, I truly did not know. Mm-hmm. And um I remember I got off an exit on the highway and I saw an office that said Reproductive Endocrinology Associates, and I pulled over and I googled it. Mm-hmm.
0: And on your flip I flip phone or on my <laughs> f-
1: girl. It was a razor. <laughs> no, Two thousand nine, right? Okay. A razor. Yeah, <laughs> Not that longer. It was a razor. <laughs> it feels You'd... centuries ago, uh, right? And yeah, it, it said fertility specialists, and I'm like, okay, I think this is where I need to go. Mm-hmm. So I pulled in the parking lot, I walked in, and I made an appointment. And I saw them. I think maybe like a couple of weeks after I went with my husband, and we had a consultation with the doctor. Kind of gave them like the rundown. Of course, I told them that I was trying for two years. I added a year because <laughs> I needed I did that urgency. I wanted. It was urgent. I, totally. I mean, I was on a time clock by thirty. I needed to have three children. I, I mean. Sure. It was just, whole like idea that I'd painted in my head. And so he, um he got me in and um, they did some testing and I don't really remember what he did, but he said, you know, let's look inside your uterus and see what's going on. I think there were some shadows on an ultrasound that he did. He wanted to take a closer look at mm-hmm. and he found mild endometriosis and mm-hmm. uterine polyps. And so mm-hmm. he cleaned my uterus up is what he said. And he provided it on a video. So I actually have the CD of oh, that procedure, God. which is And
0: he did it right then mm-hmm. and there, like right
1: away. No, or we didn't did do it right back? away. Like, oh, okay. We had to go back is all, I know. Can you imagine? I'm like, wow, one-stop one stop one stop shop. shop. <laughs> Just go right in. Shop. I so wish, but no, you have to, you know, wait sure. for the right time with your cycle and everything. Right. Okay. So, okay. A month later we did that. And, yeah. um, you know, this doctor gave me a lot of hope. Um, yeah. I remember coming out of anesthesia. He was like, okay, you're young, you're healthy. We've got the problem out of the way. So if you guys want, you could do it right now. You'll get pregnant. And then he left the room and I'm like coming out of anesthesia. And so I was like, what? Okay. That is very confident. And so I'm like, okay, I believe my doctor. Mm -hmm. That was the, that was the issue. And so we kept trying for several months and nothing happened, but I thought again, okay, this was the original problem. This is why Clomid didn't work. So this is the actual year that they talk about of like trying for a year. Right. Right. So So we're trying. And by this time, like, Allie, I think we're in mid 2012. okay. And my husband gets a fantastic job opportunity in Salt Lake City, Utah. So we packed up our little condo and drove from Orlando, Florida to Salt Lake in November of 2012. And on the drive there, I'm like, okay, I'm going to find a reproductive endocrinologist because right when we get there. Like I need to have an appointment. Yeah. We're going again. (laughs) We're going again. Yeah. So my first appointment was actually of January, 2013, because it was the holiday season when we got there and the doctor was like, okay, let's uh, get you started on IUIs. This is the next step. If you guys have been trying for X amount of years, let's, let's get you on some IUIs. Okay. And I... Had signed up for Instagram during that time. It was the thing. Uh-huh. And I came across a trying to conceive hashtag TTC. And I tapped on it. And it was a woman talking about her adoption experience because she couldn't get pregnant. Uh-huh. And then I'm like, okay, people are talking about it. Uh-huh. This is interesting. And she looks kind of like me. Like you can't tell, you know. That she's struggling mm-hmm. and so people were coming out and talking about infertility right and so but I still did not classify myself as infertile I right, just right. thought that the polyps were the thing and now that's out of the way and so now I have to try a year out you know so we do the IUIs with this doctor and we did seven of them Allie yeah and so, so there's no explanation Tell me
0: about like a couple of questions. What was the, where were you getting your support from? Like where, you know, you said Instagram was kind of just starting. Who were you talking to about all this stuff? And also second part would be like, what was going on with your relationship? Because I know obviously this is so hard on a partnership, no matter if you're married or, you know, same sex, whatever, you know, whatever you go through, it's, it's tough.
1: So tell me about your experience with that. So- Those questions actually almost blend into one Mm -hmm. answer because my husband, even to this day, is extremely private. He's just a very reserved already. He's um, an introvert. He's very private. And you're talking about your sex life. And so he was like, I just, I don't feel comfortable telling anybody about it. And so I didn't talk to anyone. I mean, my parents knew that we were trying, but they didn't know the extent of what we were doing as far as like going on Clomid, now getting started on IUIs. They didn't know the logistics of that. Mm -hmm. And I had told my friends like, hey, yeah, we're trying to get pregnant, but not, hey, I've been trying for a couple of years now. And of course- People always responded with uh, their advice, like "Oh, t- make sure he grabs you by the ankles to keep the sperm inside. Uh, make sure you elevate your bum." Like it was all like the circuit de soleil in the bedroom, which was like <laughs> right. sex was no fun anymore. Like it's right. ridiculous. And so in my head, I'm like, okay, well let's try these things. But it was a v- it was very lonely. And you know, men and women cope with difficult situations very differently. We want to talk about it. Yeah. They they don't. And then they turn their focus to doing other things. Right. And so talking together with my husband was hard Mm -hmm. and um, I wanted to talk publicly about it because I know that that is what I needed and he did not. And I wanted to respect him. And so we were private and that eventually started to chip away at our marriage and it Mm -hmm. got really hard. Mm -hmm. And, um, There was a little bit of resentment that started to build at that time when we were doing IUIs because it was my body that was being invaded with all of these instruments and hormones and in timing and calendars. And all he needed to do was provide the sperm, right? (laughs) You know, and so I started to resent that a little bit, Mm -hmm. you know, I didn't feel like he was showing up for me the way I needed him to, but I also, in some sense, I had compassion for him because there were, he felt like there was nothing else he could do and then I started to create this idea in my head that I was prohibiting him from this role that men obtain in the world right mm-hmm. I'm like mm-hmm. I cannot give him the role or title of father like it's obviously it's me because he checked out yes. and um there was a level of guilt there. Like I wasn't, I already wasn't good enough. And then growing up in a religious home where, you know, your scriptures teach us that you're supposed to multiply and replenish the earth. And I'm like, well, what's wrong with me? Like, what did I do to get this punishment? Yes, and totally. I can't be there for my husband, the way that, you know, his next role is supposed to flourish into. Mm-hmm. And so we did a shit ton of IUIs and again, I just kept following my doctor's direction. I didn't know that I could come and ask questions, but I also didn't know what the hell to ask. Right. I so just didn't know. You're doing like IUI after IUI. And how, how did it feel when it was like, it, it's not working? It's not working. Because you weren't you weren't getting pregnant, right? I wasn't getting pregnant and I was not taking a break. I'm mm-hmm. like, okay, next one, next one, next one. Next, next um, yep. It. You know, I re- started to resent my body. Like, yeah. I, I I'm a woman and I can't do that one simple function as a woman. And that is to carry a baby and to get pregnant. Yeah. I became obsessed with home pregnancy tests. I should have bought stock in, you know, <laughs> home pregnancy tests. Cause I've spent thousands of dollars in oh these my things.
0: God, seriously. Same. <laughs> yes.
1: Yeah. And then, um, at the time in my career, I was working in a Predominantly male industry, mm-hmm. and um, one of my coworkers, he he was like, "Hey, my wife is pregnant," and I was like, "Hey, congratulations, it's great." And he's like, "We've been trying for a while," and then I was like, "Oh, tell me about that." And then he told me that they had done several IVFs. I asked him what clinic did he go to, and he gave me the information of a new doctor. And so I kind of opened up to him a little bit, which was interesting because men don't typically do that, um, mm-hmm. but I guess. I mean, it was just the right moment and I needed I needed to know like, okay, I I can go to another doctor or I can ask different questions because he's like, did they check your vitamin levels, like your vitamin D? Did they check? And I'm like, oh my god, I, I had no I didn't know. Right. You're like, that's a thing. That's a thing. Yeah. yeah exactly. Yeah. And so um I went to my I call him the IUI doctor because he did so many. I'm like, mm-hmm. I went to the, IUI, back to the mm-hmm. IUI doctor to my WTF appointment. And he's like, uh, I asked him, I said, hey, what do you think about vitamin D? Does that affect infertility? And he would not even entertain any questions that I had. And that's when I knew, okay, if I'm paying this person X amount of money, like you better be able to entertain some questions for me. Right. And so I went to the doctor that my colleague and his wife went to and I switched REs. So by this time, Allie, we are in late 2013 oh my and, God. um, yeah, it's a wild and ride. The money, I mean,
0: the money oh. that's spent too, is like a whole nother conversation, right? Cause it's like,
1: why is well, it so
0: expensive and, and it's
1: so unfair. Mm-hmm. And can I tell you is that, um, you can call your insurance company and talk to them, mm-hmm. right? You can talk to them and talk to whoever does the billing at the office. How are you coding these IOIs? How are you coding these ultrasound visits? I later learned that they were coding like my lab work and ultrasound visits as under the infertility umbrella. And so it was eating into my maximum coverage. Mm-hmm. And mm-hmm. so I later learned because I had another clinic code it differently so that I still could use like the chunk of my infertility coverage for IVF. Right. So I get started. Yeah. I get started at this new clinic. Loved the dialogue with this woman. She said, Hey, it sounds like you have unexplained infertility, which for me was like, okay. This day and age with all of the technology and all of the advancements and things that we've, we've cured in the world, you're telling me that you cannot identify why I cannot get pregnant. Right. That is
0: wild. Did it feel crazy that you did, you were finally labeled as being infertile though? Like, how did that feel? You
1: know, I did find comfort knowing, (laughs) this is so weird, that it was something even though the something was unknown. Mm -hmm.
0: Mm -hmm.
1: Because now I could buckle up for the long haul, right? Because for me, someone that plans everything out, somebody that is very type A, Mm -hmm. I have to have a plan all the time. And not having the plan before and not knowing was very difficult to navigate. And now that I knew like, okay, this is unexplained infertility. These are the statistics for people that can get pregnant with unexplained infertility. This is the route we can take. I was like, okay, although it's a little murky, at least I know that there's a plan. Mm -hmm. And again, like people were talking about it more and more on social media. And I I was getting involved in this community. I was learning what to ask and how to support somebody else that was going through the same thing that I was experiencing while my marriage was deteriorating because my husband and I were not nourishing our relationship because... Mm -hmm. It was my body that had the problem, so I almost felt like I was cast aside. And so I submerged myself into this community because I had nobody else at home that would be there for me. And again, feeling guilty that I that it, it was taking so long for me to make my husband a dad. And you know, one of my really good girlfriends. Um, I remember having coffee with her once. Sorry for pivoting real quick. No, that's she, okay. She was like Marilyn. Your husband married you because he loves you, not because he, not because he wanted you to make him a dad. Mm-hmm. And um, she's like, "It's not your job to do that. That's such a heavy burden to carry." And um, I was like, "Thank you." And you know, after that conversation, I knew I needed to see a therapist. Yeah, because I I didn't want to continue feeling guilty, but also resenting the relationship. Right. Yeah. So I got geared up. So this is happening like parallel. I'm getting ready to do therapy and then I'm getting ready to do my first IVF, which can I tell you, I thought that like IVF was so expensive because it guaranteed you a baby. Yes.
0: Okay. So I wanted to ask you about that. So yesterday we did a campaign for world fertility day. That was like fertility confessions. And that was one of your confessions was that, you know, you thought IVF guaranteed you a baby. So did I, Marilyn. Yeah. Yeah. And I thought one of my confessions was. I thought IVF was for like a choice. Like I thought it was like people that were like, "Oh, I want to have more than one kid." I didn't realize mm-hmm. it was like a medical procedure mm-hmm. that people, you know, needed to have. I thought it was like an optional thing where it was like, "Oh, you want to have a litter uh, of babies?" Like, yeah, uh, Allie. So when you cruelest. shared that,
1: when you shared that, um, <laughs> my, uh, I I had a girlfriend that ha- used to think the same thing. Like, yeah. I want multiples, so I'm going to elect to do this procedure. Completely. Yeah. That's yeah. not the case. <laughs> right. I know. I know. It's not the case. Yeah. And, you know, I thought like, okay, these are all the things that we do before we decide to buy a baby. <laughs> and that's buy why IVF is so expensive. Yeah. And I'm like, okay, go to this vending machine and here we go. Here's completely, where it all happens.
0: Completely. And, um,
1: you know, we, we go into IVF and, and, you know, to, to like sidebar for a second back in that time, like this is now 2014. People that were talking about IVF were only sharing their success stories, not like oh, I did X amount of IVFs. Right. And it was just like, oh, I did an IVF and now I'm pregnant. And so it was like there was no transparency, which, gosh, it's so hard to even talk about this. So I totally respect people's privacy, but there's a lot of misconception about what it actually is. Mm-hmm. So we do our first IVF and um they retrieved 17 eggs, which 17 is my magic number, apparently. Mm-hmm. And, um, it was a fresh transfer. So on day five, we had two left. Mm-hmm. And so I transferred those to the same week of retrieval mm-hmm. and I thought it was it. My first beta was indicated that I was pregnant. My second beta, the number didn't move. And so the doctor was like, it's a chemical pregnancy. And it was the first time I'd ever even heard that term. Mm-hmm. And I just didn't understand like scientifically, like, okay, if you took my egg and you take the sperm and you inject the sperm in the egg, how can it be a like chemical? Like, I just don't get it for me. It was so real. Like I, I felt those embryos, like it was real to me. And so the word chemical almost makes it feel negated. Like those embryos were nothing. Mm -hmm. For me, they're my babies. And so it was a really hard pill to swallow. But again, I uh, geared up for my next one. And my husband and I were like, okay, we're just getting started. Like unexplained fertility. like the next one has to work. And so after the first failed IVF, we didn't, we were bummed, but we're like, okay, we got to do it again. Mm -hmm. We didn't take time to really take it all in. And I... When I shared that with my therapist, she's like, but Marilyn, you have to, you have to take it in or it's going to all crash at the same time. And in my head, I was like, but I know myself. Like, right. And I'd honestly, I wish I'd listened to her advice and I get geared up for IVF number two. And I started to fantasize about a Christmas announcement. (laughs) Yeah. Holidays start to become the measurement of your infertility yeah. like oh here's another father's day mother's day arms are still empty here's another christmas yeah halloween even with all halloween, the babies in their pumpkin costumes yeah. and yeah it's so halloween. hard yeah mm-hmm. and so i was like okay not another christmas like i i'm gonna plan this transfer so that i can make a holiday announcement Woohoo! right and so i in september of when t fourteen, I get geared up for my second IVF. Seventeen eggs are retrieved. Four make it to day five. We did not do PGS testing because I didn't. I just wasn't ready f- to take that on. Um, mm-hmm. I didn't really understand honestly what that meant. And yeah, that was another
0: one of your confessions. Yeah, if you don't mind me bringing yeah. that up again, like what what were you thinking? It was.
1: You know, I think when I had started talking about IVF with my family. See, I was brought up in the conservative household. Like I mentioned earlier, Um, Mm -hmm. they, they were really skeptical and they're like, you just need to put it in God's hands. Like God is in control. And I'm like, but, but he's, but he's not in control here. (laughs) Like, Mm -hmm. My body's just not, not doing it. And they're like, you know, it's playing God. And so I had that guilt bubble up inside of me of, you know, as a child in a religious household of like questioning God. And so it felt wrong. And even going to a reproductive endocrinologist, even though it was time to do that, I felt there was a level of guilt. Like, oh, this is my punishment for things that I did wrong, you know, growing up. And now I'm questioning God by having a man, like a physical human try to get me pregnant instead of like being faithful, right? Mm -hmm. And so it was something I wrestled with. Plus the doctor didn't do a good job explaining what pgs testing was she literally handed me a pamphlet and i'm like a pamphlet and 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 the pamphlet was like talk to a counselor and i'm like oh this is kind of weird yeah and so so we just chucked the pamphlet aside and that week of retrieval we had four embryos and so we froze two embryos and we transferred two embryos Mm -hmm. and i had a positive beta and i keep saying positive beta i don't remember my numbers this was like Centuries ago, it feels like. But yeah, you know what's um, funny
0: is I, sorry to interrupt, but I never okay. got my numbers. Like now it's such a thing as like beta one, beta two, beta three. Like yeah. I'm not even kidding. When I got after my, you know, round of IVF that resulted in sunny, they called me and they're like, you're pregnant. And there was no number. Att- I was like, great. And they're like, call us when you deliver. And like,
1: <laughs> <laughs> I'm not kidding you. <laughs> Did you know like that it, no. the numbers was a thing?
0: No, I had oh. no idea. Yeah. I really didn't. I mean, I remember like when I'd had miscarriages before that, that they had said your numbers are dropping, but I'd like never thought to ask. I didn't yeah. even know about betas and I'm not even kidding you until like two years
1: ago. And my son Isn't is that almost interesting. five. Mm-hmm. That's so interesting. I know. I think we overanalyze betas too. So well, that I think sometimes it's funny because I was, yeah, I've
0: talked to somebody else about this recently where it's like, it, you wonder, do we know too much now? Like, because it makes it you, you know, yeah. you do analyze every little thing yeah. and if a number's lower your progesterone drops or, you know, it's like, it's almost like ignorance is bliss to a certain degree. Yeah. You know, once you're pregnant, cause you're just like, okay, I'm pregnant. But if you're monitoring everything every day and, you know, it's, I mean, I get it. I understand why people mm-hmm. do that. And I love that we have all this knowledge now, but sometimes it's like, you know, with looking at all these numbers,
1: I think can make people nervous. Mm, that is such a good point. That is so interesting. and you're right. And even egg quality, which a lot of people don't know, is that every lab measures egg quality and uh, mm-hmm. labels egg, the egg or grades the eggs. Differently, there right. is not a national standard of egg grading. Yeah, and people are like, "Oh, mine was a two B HD TV," and I'm like, "Yeah, uh, that doesn't a six, matter." Four nine or <laughs> yeah, <believable>. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> like I'm like, <laughs> that, that doesn't matter because you go right up the road to the other clinic, and their right. embryologist is going to grade your egg much differently. Totally. So, yeah, I didn't um, know that either. That's yeah, that does not matter. And you're right. We we may know a little too much.
0: Yeah. I mean, obviously like knowledge is power and all that stuff and advocate for yourselves and learn, you know, learn as much as you can. But, you know, just when it's like when you're, when you're looking at stuff every single day and comparing and comparing to others, like I think sometimes that gets a little
1: tricky. Right. And where you're going to put your energy to for sure. Mm -hmm. But I get it. I totally get it. No judgment for people that are you know, monitoring closely. No, I agree. I'm one of those. Mm -hmm. Give me everything. I want, I want to know all. Mm Mm-hmm. Yeah. So I, so my second beta rose a little bit Okay. and then they're like, oh, you're going to miscarry. And I was like, but it rose. Can it like, how quick does this develop? Like, I just didn't understand. And then my third beta, it just slightly rose. And the doctor's like, yeah, you're going to miscarry. So stop all your meds. And I thought, well, are you sure? Like, I just was so, even to this day, I'm like, I'm still so unsure. Like, was that the right call? Like, should I have had an ultrasound? But oh. I didn't, I didn't, I didn't know. Mm-hmm. And um again, like this on Christmas Day, actually, I remember I was watching Polar Express and I get the call, and they're like, Yeah, your numbers are dropping. So mm-hmm. you're miscarrying. If you feel crampiness or anything that is hurting, like you need to go to the ER. And so that news just crushed me. I just remember crumbling and yeah. just I'm the pain that I experienced in that moment, I was like, this is infertility. Yes. And I remember, I remember feeling like it was yesterday, like my husband holding me and I was like this. So this hurts so bad. Like, how can I move on? Mm -hmm. How can I live another day with this pain? This is so painful. Mm -hmm. And, um, I continued with therapy and, laid it all at the feet of my therapist who guided me to a place um and a mindset to help me find joy in mm-hmm. the present day. And, you know, the the word hope I started to despise. The word hope eventually for me meant that, you know, I hope that tomorrow is better than today. So today cannot be as great as tomorrow. <laughs> mm-hmm. You know, until I have a baby in my arms, like I can hope. And so every day I was almost like, Uh, waking up and rushing through the day so I can go to bed and get closer to my goal. And which was, you know, having a baby and having a big family. Right. And and it wasn't happening. And so my therapist was like, you need to stop and smell the roses. Uh, Let's do some exercises for you to get back to present. And so we did, I'm a very visual. So we did a lot of visualization exercises. And um, I started to, dig myself out of this hole that I put myself in again. So did that stuff help you with the therapist? Oh, Allie, it helped me so much. And if I could get back in a time machine, I would make my husband go to therapy with me because while I was improving, he was dealing with pain and grief his own way. Mm -hmm. And so it, it eventually like drove us a little apart where I was doing so much better and he was still in so much pain. And he wouldn't talk to me about it. Mm-hmm. And um, I had a TTC sister, trying to conceive sister, find me on Instagram. And she said, yeah. hey, listen, there's a clinic at a state right by you. It's in Colorado. I think you need to check it out. My mm-hmm. girlfriend that's in her mid 40s got pregnant at this clinic with horrible eggs. You have unexplained infertility as you've shared if you're going to do this again, just go to the clinic. Like, yeah, just talk to the doctor. So this person, and had so, you talked to this person before on Instagram? I had. Just, okay. I had. So you made and a friend and are a you friend. still friends with this person? I am. I'm still That's friends so with her. Awesome. And she was almost like my mentor. You know, we, we, she, I was I'm like her little sister in this regard, right. In this community. And, um, she's been on the other side for a while, but her and I cycled at the same time, we did IVF one and two at the same time, coincidentally, Mm -hmm. and she got pregnant and I didn't. And so now like presently, when I see her kids on Instagram, I'm like, oh, my kids would be the same age, Mm. which is a little off. Sometimes I'm like, oh gosh, that's really strange to see, but Uh, yeah, she's been a good mentor.
0: I think that's common though. When you see, you know, people that again, like you're cycling at the same time or pregnant at the same time, and they, you know, have a healthy pregnancy and you don't, then you see their kid like, oh, My kid would have been starting first grade, Mm -hmm. second grade, you know, a lot of people do that. It's really Mm -hmm. hard, but it's also kind of a coping, like it makes it real. Like it almost validates like, "Like, yeah, I'm grieving because this
1: happened. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Yeah. Because you can't see, I mean, you can't see what wasn't essentially there and flourished. Yeah.
0: I think that's sometimes the heart, one of the hardest parts about this whole thing is the grief of like, what could have been you know, and oh, that's not sure. a tangible thing. So sometimes right. people that haven't gone through it don't understand that bit of it. It's like the loss mm-hmm. of a hope, the loss of your dream, the, the loss of loss of
1: the, loss of the dream. Yeah. The dream yeah. that you wrote, right? And so my therapist helped me decide. She's like, but you can rewrite a new one. Yeah. Like you choose to rewrite a new one. And it sounds easy, but it's very hard. You literally have to choose to do that every single day. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And so in 2015. March, 2015, I flew to Colorado for a one day workup to this new clinic and they did so much testing on my body. And I realized that the other clinics I had gone to were template matching and basically just giving me the same blanket protocol that everybody got. And this new clinic was going to cater the protocol based on my body. And so Mm -hmm. they were like, we're not going to take the two frozen embryos from your last IVF. You're going to leave them there because we want to control your egg quality from the very beginning with supplements. So they had me on acai berry supplements for Mm -hmm. several weeks leading up to retrieval. And um, yeah, we, I had the magic number again, 17 retrieved. Mm -hmm. We did PGS testing. They were like, if you're going to be a patient here, we're going to do PGS testing because that increases the probability of pregnancy and uh-huh. lowering the chances of miscarriage. And by that time we'd invested so much money into all of this. And we had taken out a small loan because we we're like, okay, this is going to be the last shot. Let's go to this clinic. Let's take out a loan and let's do everything they say, like PGS testing, ev- all kinds of tests. Let's just do it all. Right. If it doesn't work, I was ready to live child-free. I had already started to paint this new life in my head of like what our plan B was. Right. Because how long had it been at this point, Maryland, like all
0: in, how many years?
1: Oh, I mean, 2009 to 2015. Yeah. Okay. That's yeah. A long damn time. A long time. Yeah. And so, and that's what we did. We did PGS tested seven embryos, and wow. two two came back normal. Mm-hmm. And my retrieval was during the summer, and the doctors wanted my body to get back to normal, like zero hormone medicine in my, in my system to get my body to its normal state to get ready for transfer, which was September of 2015. And so we flew back to Colorado, September of 2015, where we transferred two genetically normal embryos. And I remember that day, like it was yesterday, I woke up feeling nothing. I was like, okay, this is my next bullet point. This is the last thing I'm going to check off my list. I had just adopted and rescued a dog. Mm -hmm. I was ready. I'm like, he's going to, he's here with me. Like, and we, he came with me to my embryo transfer. We brought him with us. Yeah. (laughs) Oh, and it worked. Like I got pregnant and my ultrasound showed that one took and I I didn't really believe that it worked. Mm Mm-hmm. So wait, this was what month, 2015? This was September of 2015. Okay. So we were pregnant at the same time.
0: Yeah. I wish I'd known you back then. I did my transfer in April. So yeah.
1: Yeah, I know. And I I got to announce my Christmas pregnancy, which Mm -hmm. to me, even announcing it felt really weird. Like I was Mm -hmm. jinxing myself. Like, and I truly, you know, it's hard. And I think sometimes it's hard to talk about in this community, like, if whether you had a good pregnancy or bad pregnancy, because mm-hmm. people are trying so hard to get pregnant. Right. Um, but my pregnancy was ridden with a lot of anxiety. Totally. Yeah. And I just, you know, thought it was not real and not going to happen. And so I delivered my beautiful girl in June of 2016. And she, her name is Mila. Mm-hmm. And she's an incredible little human. And you know, I still had this vision of wanting to expand my family. And so I sat on those two embryos that were frozen for several years looking at the seven hundred dollar storage bill every every year. Mm-hmm. <laughs> I'm like, oh, they're still there. Yeah. And so last year I was like, okay, I'm in my late thirties. I'm turning 40 soon. I just want to get this over with. <laughs> I'm like, I don't want to have this hanging over my head anymore. And I, if they work great, if not, then I have to close this chapter. So I, we actually moved to Charlotte during this time. And so we're in North Carolina. I flew by myself Mm -hmm. to transfer those two frozen embryos last year, October of 2019. Okay. And I didn't want my husband to come or my daughter. I just, it was for me, like it was a spiritual experience for me of like going to pick up my my kids. Yes. Oh, I love yeah. that. Yeah. And so one of my very good friends took really good care of me. She picked me up. She took me to the clinic. She was in the room with me during transfer. It was a beautiful spiritual experience. Um, and, you know, 10 days later, I would learn that it didn't take. Mm-hmm. And um, I took, which was crazy because. I tested early and I got a positive pregnancy test. So it must've been a chemical. Yeah, I got a positive test. The line got darker and then the levels went down to 10. My beta was a 10, which is a joke. The oh, doctor wow. was like, my nurse was like, um, continue with your meds, you're pregnant. I'm like, listen, I'm not pregnant. I've been in this game for a very long time. This is this is a joke. Like I was so yeah. upset. Yeah, And um, yeah, I mean- I stopped my meds immediately against their recommendation and, Uh you know, got my period, what was supposed to come. Yeah. And I grieved. I I allowed myself to grieve for like 24 hours. And Uh then, and then I said, okay, it's time to close this chapter and start painting and creating a life where my new dream is one child, right? Mm -hmm. Like I have this beautiful miracle. Mm -hmm. Now I'm going to make this normal. This is going to be normal in a yeah. society that always says, Hey, we're going to give your kid a sibling, you know? Right. And so that's where we are. And, yeah. you know, my husband still wants more children, Allie, like he mm-hmm. talks about it all the time. And mm-hmm. it's, you know, something we talk about often. And I've decided that for my mental health, for me to be level-headed and good and show up the way I'm supposed to, like, I have to really just close that door.
0: Yeah. I think that makes sense for sure.
1: Mm-hmm.
0: I would love to ask you a little bit more about the embryos. So yeah, just not, I hope this doesn't like open up anything for you. I'm oh, sorry, it doesn't. But, but it's, I think it's interesting when people do have, you know, more embryos that they're, that are on ice for lack of a better mm-hmm. term. In mm-hmm. And I think there's a lot of complicated feelings that go on with that. Like, what are you going to yeah. do with these embryos? Do you want to keep paying to keep them frozen, even if you know you're not going to use them? Do you Mm -hmm. donate them? Do you let the rent expire? You know, like I think it's, and that's something I don't think people talk about enough. So I'd love to hear just, obviously you did what you did, but was it a hard decision? Did you ever think that you, I guess what I'm trying to say is what was your thought process leading into that decision of going to transfer your final two embryos?
1: Yeah. You know, for a while, I thought my husband and I were not going to make it Mm -hmm. because infertility was just so hard for us. Mm -hmm. And I thought, okay, if something were to happen, like if him and I split up, what do I do with these embryos? Because he would have to like sign off or present himself in some way. Right. Do I have the guts to discard something I worked so hard for that are like, for me, they're babies. They are babies. And do I have the heart to discard this? Do I have the heart to donate them? No, no. So I was like ready to pay forever. Mm-hmm. for them to be there. Mm-hmm. And, you know, eventually like if I had, like if my daughter was struggling to conceive, which I've heard stories of, you know, people passing their embryos on to their children or relatives, mm-hmm. you know, would that be something I was open to? But I just, I really stopped myself from diving into so many hypotheticals because mm-hmm. you could really drive yourself crazy. And right. so the mindset that I had was like, okay, like make a choice and stick to it.
0: Mm-hmm.
1: And so for me, it was It was just a matter of timing of when it was right for me to go and transfer them because Mm -hmm. $700, I mean, $700 for that many years, like it basically paid for another FET. Right. (laughs) Yeah. And so for me, it was a no brainer. I was ready to give them a shot, but I know people, Allie, that have lots. I mean, we're talking a dozen on ice. Right. And
0: And I I think that it's conflicted. yeah. yeah. And I think people really do struggle with that. That's why I wanted to just
1: yeah. ask your opinion about it a little bit more. And I don't so think hard. there's a
0: right or wrong answer. I'm just yeah. curious. Like, mm-hmm. I, don't I, do. I, no, I, th- I don't know what I would do. I you know. I I don't know what I would do. No,
1: I think I'm kind of glad that I don't have to choose that. Right. Or make a choice that difficult because that is just another layer in this fucked up. <laughs> situation. Yeah. And I think that's
0: part of the reason you probably did make that choice not to like yeah. put words in is like, at, th- at least then that door is closed and closed. you don't have to worry or wonder or what if, mm-hmm. or, you know, mm-hmm. it was like, I'm going to try it. And then there's no more of that. If it doesn't take, you know, exactly. Wow, yeah. oh, God, there's so many fucking little complicated bits to all of these stories. Mm-hmm. Isn't there, it's like, there's so you never much. think about that thing being there's like, did so you ever much. think that would even be a part of your life? Like having to make that choice.
1: No, it's crazy. Oh, are you kidding? Like the Hollywood shows us how easy it is to get pregnant and have a baby. Yeah. At 55. Yeah, exactly. (laughs) I know. Exactly. Totally.
0: totally. (sighs) Oh my God. Well, let's talk about what you're doing now because, you know, like I said, you've, you're such a huge, bright and brilliant voice in this community and you support so many people. And I think a lot of people, including myself, really like look to you as like a source of comfort and just you know like a friendly face mm-hmm. so tell me about your role and like what you're doing with infertile teas and what else you have going on
1: mm, thank you and your I, podcast too i really honestly am very passionate about three pillars in this community but also it, it could tra- translate into anything that you're going through in your life that's very difficult and that's a self-advocacy advocating mm-hmm. for yourself knowing mm-hmm. your body asking questions demanding answers from your physicians Community, finding your community, finding your tribe, leaning into your community. Because Mm -hmm. when you find other people that know and have been through the thick of it and are going through the thick of it, that are experienced, they get you. They know how you're feeling. They get you. And so, leaning into the community Mm -hmm. that understands you is so powerful and healing and finding a way to heal while you're experiencing it. And so, you know, infertile teas to me came when I was a month before I had my last embryo transfer last year, I was searching for something cute to wear for transfer day and I didn't like anything. Everything was so corny. And I'm, you know, (laughs) a super like classic type of dresser. Like I like my basic pieces and something that is, you know, I could wear every day. And so I'm like, Hey, I know how to do graphic design. I'll just design my own. And then it just kind of flourished from there. And I thought, you know, I feel it's so necessary to empower women Have a voice and to speak up for themselves, but also for the women that are afraid to speak up, to be the voice for those women as well, so that they know that they're not alone. Women that have private profiles on Instagram that are keeping up in the community because they are going through the thick of it. And so for me, like designing t shirts where they feel seen and heard and being part of this community that is so hard to be a part of, right? But I've met some of my greatest friends here, like, and showing up for them with using my voice has really healed a lot of my wounds, you know, Mm -hmm. and and it goes through cycles. Right. And I feel like a big sister in this community and Mm -hmm. I am a lifer here and being part of fertility rally has been so healing for me Mm -hmm. um, in ways that I didn't know that I needed. That's good. Um, Granted, like it's not, it doesn't feel the same as going through the thick of it, but, You know, for me, it's how do I walk through triggers as they arrive, and I know yeah, you get them too. You know, as totally. they come up. Yeah, yeah, it's
0: like I wasn't even in this community until I was, you know, out on the other side. But I feel the same way, and not just because it's <laughs> our membership, but like I feel like with the support groups and stuff with the rally, I feel so much better. It's just like therapy, no matter what it you're is. going through, and it just feels so good to have this community of badasses. Yeah. coming together
1: you know so there's so much power there's so yeah. much power in healing yeah. and community
0: thank you so much guys for listening to my conversation with Marilyn I hope you enjoyed it I hope you are feeling inspired maybe a little more hopeful if you want to reach out to her she's on Instagram at Marilyn B Gomez you can always reach out to me too at Life Stories. I also wanted to remind you guys if you have a minute to please go and rate and review the podcast on Apple or wherever you listen to it. It really helps spread the word. And finally, please check out Fertility Rally, which is the business that I co founded with Blair from Fab Fertility. It's a place that offers community content, curated events we are so happy that it exists. We have almost 300 members and we would love to have more. So come and check us out at Fertility Rally. We are a small business. So word of mouth really helps out. So if you know anybody who can use the extra support, send them our way. All right. Thanks. Have a great night, day, whenever you're listening to this, and I will talk to you guys next time.